Welcome to The Rock. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors. We are starting our three-week Christmas series right now. This is part one. We're going to be in Matthew chapter one. If you want to turn there in your Bible, follow along on your handout. I titled this teaching, The Virgin Birth. Like that video talked about, I guess it didn't talk about. It was a silent video. (laughs) There's two versions. I'm pivoting right now. And a version that I heard that had words... It's, it said that Christmas is a time of the year that we reflect on God's promise to us, that we are not alone, that we are not alone in our suffering and brokenness, that God is not distant, but he's present in our life. And so our goal for this series is that you would find the hope, you'd see the hope that we have in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So Christmas time, on one hand, Christmas can be amazing. Friends, family, presents, decorations, the tree, the fireplace, the stocking, all of it. But on the other hand, Christmas time can be a very challenging time because it's supposed to be such a special time of the year and there can be so much brokenness and suffering. I talked to a man a few weeks ago. He said that divorce, his divorce has made the holidays very challenging. I talked to a different person who said that Family drama often ruins their holidays. I know many that are sick, that are recovering from surgeries, they're dealing with grief. Some of you have lost your job recently. There's all these fears we have about the economy and politics and world conflicts. I get emails every week from people in our city that are dealing with loneliness, anxiety, and depression. We go, it's supposed to be the best time of the year. We'll tell that to everybody who's suffering right now. Church, we're going to need something a lot better than a present and a fireplace and a tree. That's why this message I'm about to share is so important. That's, there's, we need reasons to have hope that are strong. We're going to talk about why Emmanuel, God with us, can give us ultimate hope. We're going to talk about how the virgin birth is a significant part of this. And we're going to talk about the implications of all this for our life with our suffering and our brokenness. So I'm going to pray and we're going to dig into Matthew chapter 1. Lord, we do thank you for this time of year. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you that we get to celebrate your birth. But God, we also acknowledge there is a lot of hardship and suffering and brokenness in this room. And God, we need something stronger and deeper. And so Lord, we ask that you would help us to have true hope. I ask that you'd speak through me right now to all of your sons and daughters. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's four biographies of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to read just a few verses from the first biography of Jesus, Matthew chapter 1. I'll pick it up in verse 18. You can follow along on your handout or on the slide. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother... When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The word betrothed meant legally pledged to be married. It's stronger than our current engagement model. It was essentially a to-be-married contract. It was as binding as a marriage. You needed a divorce to end it. And this betrothal period would last about 6 to 12 months, and then there would be a 7-day wedding feast. And the couple was considered married even though they hadn't had their wedding feast or slept together yet. And Mary and Joseph were waiting for their wedding night. That's what before they came together means. That's like a Bible euphemism for they weren't sleeping together. They were honoring the Lord. But then suddenly Mary is pregnant. 
The biography of Luke expands on this. I'll read to you from Luke chapter 1. You don't need to turn there. But the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, scaring her. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel says, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Mary asked the angel, How can this happen? I am a virgin. She had never been with a man sexually. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Baby will be, to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. Some of you have been incorrectly taught that God the Father was involved in this conception. Notice both in Matthew and Luke, it's the Holy Spirit that causes this conception. But can you imagine what Mary felt in this moment? She's being sexually pure. She hasn't slept with her husband. And then she hears she's going to be pregnant. That would cause a ton of fear. What will people think? What will my family think? Oh, no, what will Joseph think? But her response is amazing. She says simply, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. What a faith-filled response. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 1. Verse 19, so Joseph finds out Mary is pregnant. Her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Imagine what Joseph felt in this moment. Your fiancé is suddenly pregnant and you haven't been with her. There's only one thing to think. My supposedly godly fiancé isn't that godly. She cheated on me. Can you imagine the hurt or the anger that Joseph was feeling? I like how John Lennox, he's a professor at Oxford and a Christian, he talked about this. He said, when Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant, he didn't suddenly believe in a miracle. He wanted to divorce her. Why? Because he knew exactly as we do where babies come from. He wasn't stupid or pre-scientific. It took a lot of convincing for him to accept that this was a unique miracle of God encoding himself into humanity. That's good. So what does that mean here in verse 19 where it says, Joseph resolved to divorce her quietly. There was this Old Testament law that said if someone committed sexual immorality, they could be executed. But Joseph didn't choose that option. His righteousness meant he was also merciful. He was a godly man. So he resolved. So in the middle of his incredible heartbreak, he decided to divorce Mary discreetly. Again, the divorce shows that, that this is a more serious betrothal than our engagement process. The next verse, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. There are only a few angelic visits recorded in the New Testament. Most of them are related to the birth of Jesus. Hopefully you have not experienced the devastation and the betrayal that Joseph felt when he heard that Mary was pregnant. So he needs an angel visit of his own, and he has this dream or this vision, and this angel says, something remarkable is happening. Your fiancé didn't cheat on you. Her purity is intact. She, the child she is carrying was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's an extraordinary miracle. It's going to be a virgin birth. And notice the angel says, do not fear. Mary was told, do not fear. Both Mary and Joseph needed some encouragement right now. Do not be afraid. The angel continues to speak. Verse 21, 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So he's told three things about this unborn child here. But first, an editorial comment. The story of Mary's pregnancy with Jesus may be one of the strongest reasons that Christians historically have been on the side of defending unborn children. We see here this unborn child has a name, has a purpose. And this isn't just about Jesus. This applies to all unborn children. God knows every one of them. Every unborn child has value and worth. And who are we to end that life? Going back to verse 21, Joseph is told three things about this unborn child. First, he learns the gender. Mary's going to have a son. There were no ultrasounds back then, so this is a supernatural insight. And the gender is important because some people try to explain this away. I read articles where people said, well, there's certain frogs and rabbits where the female will just asexually have a daughter. It's very rare, I might add, but whenever that happens in the animal world, the female frog or rabbit has a daughter every time. It's a clone. So Jesus has as a male would have had a completely different set of chromosomes, XY chromosomes, instead of Mary, his mother's XX chromosomes. It's biology. So a son is biologically significant to rule out some sort of asexual pregnancy. The second thing Joseph learns is that this child's name is Jesus. Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew term Yahweh saves. So Jesus' name literally means God saves. And the third thing Joseph learns is the life mission of Jesus. We're going to come back to this. This is our biggest reason for hope. But Jesus' mission is to save his people from their sins. Like we discussed last week, our attempts to work our way to heaven fail. Because no one is perfect. No one can meet God's righteous standard except for Jesus. So we need a Savior to rescue us. And this rescue mission started with the conception of Jesus. The next verse, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. So Matthew wrote his biography in part to show his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters that Jesus is our long-anticipated Messiah. He does this by quoting the Jewish Old Testament 60 times, more than any other book in the New Testament except for Romans. And then he talks about about a dozen prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. What is a prophecy? That's where God inspires somebody in the Old Testament, typically, to make a prediction about an event in the future. Many of these events were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And fulfilled prophecy is a remarkable evidence for the inspiration of God's word. Quick note, how did Matthew establish Jesus' Jewish heritage in the beginning of this chapter? which we did not read. It has the genealogy of Jesus, goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, down through the tribe of Judah, through King David, all the way to Jesus. And so the prophet quoted here, back to verse 22, is Isaiah. Isaiah is obviously best known for the Old Testament book that bears his name. It's one of the longest books in the Bible. And I counted 20 prophecies in Isaiah fulfilled with Jesus. So the first big idea on your handout, Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus and contains about 20 prophecies about him. And the first fulfilled prophecy is about the virgin birth, that no father was involved. You go, that's crazy. Well, it's in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's why we believe it. 
Our next verse, the actual quote from Isaiah, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, there's some debate among liberal theologians about the Old Testament word virgin here. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, ends all debate about it because he uses a word in the Greek, unambiguous word, that means virgin. So... That means, next big idea, Jesus' conception was a miraculous sign. So Matthew chapter 1 is quoting Isaiah chapter 7, which says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. So let's read this Isaiah section for ourselves. Just another editorial note, Bible prophecies frequently have this near-far component to them. Like the prophet says something about a near-future event, and at the same time, simultaneously, he's talking about a distant future event. So you see these mountains here. If you know what mountain it is, you can tell me after, and I'll be very proud of you. So on the left there, you see that it looks like one big, massive mountain but if you shift your perspective to the right there to the north, you see, oh, they're two separate peaks separated from each other. That is what is happening many times in these biblical prophecies. The prophet will say something, and there's like an event that's soon, and there's an event that's way in the future. So Isaiah is talking about something that will happen very soon, and he's talking about something that happens 700 years after with Jesus. Here's a map. It's helpful to know a little background on this also. So this is a conversation between the prophet Isaiah and King Ahaz. Ahaz was a wicked king of Judah. He became the king when he was 20 years old. He ruled for four years. So he's the king of Judah down there at the bottom. And Syria and Israel, the kings of those countries, came to Judah. And they said, Judah, you need to help us fight us, Syria. And he said, I don't think so. And they said, you better, buddy. That's a loose translation of it. He did an end around on them. He went up to Assyria and he said, hey, why don't you guys come attack Syria and Israel first? So in walks the prophet Isaiah. He says, God's going to protect you. You don't need to worry about it. They're not going to attack you. And ask for a sign from God confirming this. Let's read it in Isaiah chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to King Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, that's the grave, or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to a test. He sounds so spiritual, but it's because he hired a bunch of mercenaries. He's like, I don't need God. I hired some mercenaries. I've got this covered. I fixed it without God. So God picks his own sign, which will happen 700 years after King Ahaz. Verse 13, Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This you, God will give you a sign, in the original language, is plural. This is way bigger than King Ahaz. He's like, hey, everybody gets this sign. And there's a debate here about the word virgin. Some claim it's just like a generic term for a young woman. It's interesting, one author I read said that the Jewish writings before Jesus was born, they all thought it was talking about an actual virgin. And then after Jesus, then they said, no, 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 it's not talking about a virgin. The word here, virgin, means a maiden, a young woman who's unmarried, sexually pure. And Matthew and Luke confirm that as well. But it's a sign to the whole world. God is disrupting the natural order. That's why this is a miracle. 
virgins don't get pregnant. In the Bible, God uses miraculous signs where he disrupts the natural order of things to get our attention. And then in the verses immediately after this in Isaiah, Isaiah speaks about how Ahaz's enemies won't be a problem. So again, this is a classic example of that near-far prophecy. Simultaneously, Isaiah is speaking about a current military threat and making a prediction, and he's talking about a virgin giving birth to a son 700 years in the future. And this, this son is given this strange name, Emmanuel, God with us. This is the first time this is used in the Bible. And this is another reason we can have hope, because God isn't distant from us. God is near us. God is with us. Go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So Mary was godly. She obeyed the angel. Joseph was godly. He obeyed the angel. Joseph could have been angry. He could have pouted, but he believed God, and he proceeded with their wedding plans. And that phrase, knew her not, again, that's Bible euphemism, for they weren't sleeping together. Another way of saying Jesus' birth was a miracle. So let's talk about the virgin birth. This is not some abstract topic. This is directly related to our question of what we should put our hope in when we're hurting. So I'm going to tell you why this matters, whether or not you are a Christian. What's the most controversial miracle in the Bible? I think it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People don't raise from the dead. Everybody knows that. But it's bigger than that because if Jesus rose from the dead, that changes everything. So no wonder it's attacked. What's the second biggest miracle? I think it might be the virgin birth because we all know women do not spontaneously get pregnant. It's not how it works. Everybody knows that, but it's bigger than that because if Jesus was miraculously conceived, that also has huge implications. So Christians will feel this pressure to minimize or deny the virgin birth. They might believe it, but they'll never talk about it. Now, what does the world think of the virgin birth? In my preparation, I read some fantastic quotes by a variety of celebrities on the virgin birth. I want to share some of them with you. Will Smith, the actor, talking about Tom Cruise's Scientology beliefs. If you've never studied Scientology, it's like a sci-fi book as a religion. It has aliens and nuclear bombs and thetans and xenu and... Anyway... This is what Will says. How can I condemn someone for what they believe? And I believe that God was born from a pregnant virgin. Thanks, Will. Zenu thanks you as well. This one, this is uh, Rob Bell. He's a liberal pastor. He wrote a book I read. He said this, I affirm the historic Christian faith, which includes the virgin birth and much more. But if the whole faith falls apart when we re-examine and rethink one part, then it wasn't that strong in the first place, was it? He's essentially saying he believes in the virgin birth, but he doesn't think it's that important. He can take it or leave it. A liberal pastor, John Shelby Spong, he takes it a little further. He said, the virgin birth died as a literal story as soon as we discovered that women had an egg cell. The virgin birth, understood as literal biology, makes Christ's divinity as traditionally understood impossible. In other words, we're modern, sophisticated people. We do not believe in the divinity of Jesus, and we don't believe in the virgin birth. But there's something significant about the virgin birth. Non-Christians see that. I like this quote by Larry King, TV 
talk show host. He said his dream interview would be with Jesus Christ. And he said this, I would ask Jesus if he believed that he was born of virgin birth because whatever the answer is changes the world. So Larry realizes the implication of the virgin birth. If this is actually true, it changes everything. But some mock this idea. Christopher Hitchens, the atheist, said, if your wife is pregnant and you know it's not you, the only alternative is that it's the Holy Spirit. We have to grow up out of this stuff. So right now you might be feeling a little insecure. You're like, do we really believe in the virgin birth? So I'm going to do a, do a quick detour. So I've been teaching a Wednesday night creation class. It's been a blast. I've been loving it. And about 100 people from our church have been coming. And in my study for that class, I came across two quotes. Here's our graphic. I think Caleb made this. If you want to be in the class, we're going to continue it through the spring. I'd love to have you join the class. But I came across two quotes because a skeptic will mock, I can't believe you believe in the virgin birth. That's so ridiculous. Well, they have a couple virgin births of their own. Let me tell you about them. Stephen Hawking, the brilliant physicist, he said, because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will produce itself from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing, why the universe exists, why we exist. So Stephen believes in a virgin birth. He believes in the virgin birth of the universe. Or this guy, Charles Darwin, he's the father of modern evolutionary theory. He speculated where the first life came from. He said this, if we could conceive in some warm little pond of all sorts of ammonia and phosphoric salts and light and heat and electricity present that a protein compound was chemically formed, ready to undergo still more complex changes. So Charles believes in a virgin birth that life came from non-life because a warm little pond if you have joined us this weekend and you are not a believer, I want to thank you for coming here. It takes courage to try something new. I really appreciate you coming here. Second, I want to compliment you. You may have incredible faith. You may believe that the entire universe sprang into existence from nothing. I want to challenge you. I would argue it takes less faith to believe that Jesus was miraculously conceived than to believe the entire universe and everything that we see sprang into existence from nothing. Some of you go, well, maybe, but we all know virgins don't have babies. They don't. That's what makes this a miracle. That's what the Bible is clearly teaching here. This is highly unusual. God is disrupting the natural order of things. You should know this idea that the virgin birth is not true is crept into churches. There was a survey of Protestant seminary students. I should, this is a Utah definition for you all. Seminary is where pastors go to school. A survey of Protestant seminaries in America indicates that 44% of seminary students don't believe in the virgin birth. So that's the future pastors of America. That's directly related to this one. A poll of Americans found that 29% of mainline Protestants don't believe in the virgin birth. So you have skeptics who mock it. You have Christians who don't believe in it or at least minimize it. But everybody realizes the significance of this. Do you know these attacks on Jesus' birth are not new? Look at this interaction with Jesus and the crowd in John chapter 8. Jesus said, you are doing the works your father did. And the crowd, they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So these attacks on Jesus' 
family are not new at all. So why is the virgin birth so attacked? Because the implications are profound, directly related to our question, what is your hope coming from tonight? Our next big idea, the virgin birth is directly related to who you think Jesus is. Some Christians don't believe it. Other Christians minimize it, but it's absolutely true. Why do I say that? We read the verses, Isaiah, Matthew, and Luke, that all say a virgin will get pregnant and give birth to a son. If it simply was a young woman will get pregnant, that's not much of a sign. Young women are getting pregnant all of the time. I saw a number of sources that said about 385,000 babies will be born today around the planet. If half of them are male, and it's actually more than half because of targeted abortions, but that is a different sermon, 193,000 baby boys will be born today, and that means about 8,000 baby boys will be born while we're in church. That's not much of a sign. A young woman will give birth to a son. (laughs) That's nothing to write home about. But God said through Isaiah and Matthew and Luke that a virgin will get pregnant and give birth to a son. Now that's quite noteworthy. That's remarkable. God is entering into space and time. He's becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Your next big idea, the virgin birth shows us that Christ is fully God. He's not one of hundreds or thousands of babies born today. He's the unique one, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. The virgin birth is a confirmation of the divinity of Jesus. You know, in Matthew chapter 2, which we won't read, when the wise men found Jesus, they worshipped him. When Jesus walked on water, his disciples worshipped him. When Jesus healed some random blind guy, that blind guy started to worship Jesus. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, he was worshipped. When he was resurrected, his disciples worshipped him. And then when he ascended up to heaven, he was worshipped. Worship is showing our deepest love and highest praise for someone or something. People worship all kinds of things, pleasure, sports, money, relationships, celebrities, hobbies, their body, their career, their 401k, Tay-Tay, games, friends, mountains, a lot of things. And for the record, you should only be worshiping God. And the virgin birth is about us knowing who God is so we can worship him. John's biography of Jesus doesn't describe his birth, but it gives us more of an overview. John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh, God became a man, and we know this because of the virgin birth. God entered into our brokenness so we can have hope. So there are three implications that flow from this idea that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what we put our hope in. This is the hope that will sustain us through the brokenness and suffering of our life. So your next big idea, the virgin birth means that Jesus is God with us. We've talked about this. This is the incarnation. This is that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, Christianity is the only religion in the world where God was born as a man, where God became fully human. Next week, Brian's going to get into the humanity of Jesus Christ. Jesus had to learn how to eat, how to sit in a chair, how to tie his sandals. Being fully human meant that Jesus was the perfect representative for us. 
So right now we're talking about Jesus being fully God. The virgin birth is proof of this. This is a visited planet. There is soil, there is dirt in Israel that Jesus walked on. This is foundational to Christianity. John Walvert, a professor, he put it this way. He said, the incarnation of Jesus is the central fact of Christianity. Upon it, the whole superstructure of Christianity depends. The apostle Paul stated as much in Colossians chapter 2. He said, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. I can't read that verse and not think of those quotes and those surveys and polls by various Christians and supposed pastors that do not believe that Jesus is God or Jesus was born of a virgin. You see, no virgin birth, there's nothing special about Jesus. Jesus is lying. The Bible is lying. Christianity falls apart. Some people think, oh, it's no big deal. Maybe Jesus lied. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he was born of a virgin. It doesn't really matter. Maybe he was God. Maybe he wasn't. But that's not how Christianity works. Christianity claims to be 100% true. Either Christianity is all true or none of it's true. God became a man, and this gives us hope in our suffering and brokenness because God doesn't step back from our pain. He doesn't stand at a distance. He enters into our broken world and experiences it with us, and then he offers a way out. That's our next big idea. The virgin birth means that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for us. This is what we talked about last week. God's standard is perfection, and no one can meet that except for Jesus. Jesus perfectly met that standard. The virgin birth means he's not tainted by our sin nature. He lived the sinless life we couldn't. He did this because he is God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. The Father sent the Son to live among us and die on the cross for our sins. And through Jesus' shed blood, we can be reconciled to God forever. Look at this verse in 1 Peter chapter 1 knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus could be the perfect sacrifice because he was born of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he lived a perfect sinless life, and then he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so this gives us the ultimate hope in our suffering and brokenness because we have the answer to our pain and our sin. We know through Jesus we can be born again and we are bound for glory and that gives us hope. Someday we will live with the Lord forever in the new heavens and the new earth and it will be unbelievable. And that is a hope that can never be taken from you even in the face of death. As we bring this to a close, our final big idea The virgin birth means that Jesus is our present reality. So Jesus isn't just our future hope. He's our present reality, our near, our hope now. Remember at the end of the biography of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said this, Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And what? And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus promised that he would be with us in this life. And then our final verse. Paul had been arrested. He was in prison. He was, had a trial, a court case, and everybody deserved Let's just read it. 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me, 
may it not be charged against him, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So imagine being alone in a court case. All of your friends have abandoned you. No one is with you but the Lord. The Lord was with them. The Lord gave him strength, and the Lord gave him the power even here to forgive those who had abandoned him. So in the middle of our suffering and brokenness, financial, medical, physical, spiritual, mental, all of the hard things in our life, all of the brokenness, all of the sin, the things that take our hope away, Jesus can be our present reality. He can be our hope. He can strengthen us and help us. He can be our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you became a man and you entered into your creation because you love us and you wanted to save us. Lord, we thank you that this incredible miracle, the virgin birth, helps us understand that you became a man, that God became, God put on human flesh, and you did that because you love us, you want to be with us, you want to save us, you want to bring us to heaven, you want to be with us even right now as we're suffering and hurt. So Lord, we thank you for this amazing truth. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen.